Today we're going to talk about Israel's only hope. We're going to talk about our only hope. We're going to conclude the book of Acts today. And for some of you uh, who are scoring at home, you might know that's four full chapters. You're nervous. But don't worry. We're going to go really quick through the first three and a half chapters. (laughs) You see, after the Apostle Paul was whisked away under the cover of night and under and by an impressive military escort, did you know that there was uh, about 500 military personnel that had to get Paul out of Jerusalem when the the Jewish council wanted to kill him? 500! Under the cover of night, they had to get Paul out because there was a riot ensuing. They wanted Paul to be killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He was taken in about a day or so to Caesarea. And um, that is where, if you'll recall from last week, he was going to actually get a, uh, a trial in a Roman court because he was, uh, his citizens citizenry was was he, he was Roman and that um, allowed him certain privileges and so he was going under guard to Caesarea where he would have his day in a Roman court and his accusers could come and, and make their case and and he would defend himself now I just want to I just want to borrow a, a, a nautical theme for the first three and a half chapters this is how quick it's going to go um, And that nautical theme is doldrums and hurricanes. Doldrums. Paul gets to Caesarea. He meets with the governor, the Roman governor there. There's a guy called Felix who meets with him. He can't find out. He can't figure out why the Jews are so upset with him. And he says, you know, when it's convenient for me, I'll I'll make a decision. Well, two years later, (laughs) he was replaced by another guy. I don't know if the governors all had to have their first name start with F, but he was Festus. So there was Felix, couldn't make his mind up. And then there was Festus, who, like every other Roman governor, he's trying to make nice with the the Jewish folks of of, of Palestine. And uh, he says to Paul, okay, you know, I don't get it, but let's go back to Jerusalem. And Paul says, no, I'm a Roman citizen. If you, if you don't want to try me here, take me to Rome. I want to, try, I want to be seen by Caesar himself. He appealed to Caesar, as it said. Well, so after the doldrums of two years, just basically putting in time, now there were people coming to see him, because he was really under a really light guard, because nobody could understand why he was even in prison. So he um, was actually kept in Herod's palace. Uh, So it was a very kind of like house arrest kind of idea. After that, for two years, that's when um, the hurricane happened. So doldrums, nothing's going on. He's in legal limbo, let's put it that way. And then literally, (laughs) he set sail into a hurricane. Now that's good reading, right? If you ever want to read any, some some, action-packed stuff, 
read about uh, Paul and the ship and gets they get shipwrecked and my favorite part is that uh, while they're trying to stay warm Paul gets bit by a viper and the viper is hanging from his arm and he goes to the fire to get rid of the viper oh, it's good stuff <laughs> they should make a movie though. they probably did anyways uh, so there's this hurricane and, and finally he gets to Rome. <clears throat> so we've reached the, uh, that's the end of the first three and a half chapters. <laughs> uh, basically his testimony before these Roman governors, and he actually did throw in a king there, King Agrippa came to see him, and he said the same thing to all of them. There's no reason for this. I'm, um, I'm a good Jew. <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to do anything to disturb the apple cart other than, let's face it, Jesus is the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. That's my only claim. And they seem upset by that. So anyways, he sees those three and he ends up in Rome. And so let's read from Acts 28. We're going to read 14 to 31. And so, this is such an understatement, and so we came to Rome. <laughs> After that crazy hurricane story. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming. These are Christian believers. And they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the three taverns, the three taverns to meet us. All at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself once again with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done Nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors. I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk to you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we, we have not received any letters from Judas or Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arrived to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. This is what made them leave. <laughs> Quote, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors. When he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing and never understanding. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn. That's repent. 
and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, or the non-Jews, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's the end of Acts. That's how it ends. It's kind of an anticlimactic sort of ending. You don't get the full story of what happened to Paul. Did he ever see Caesar? Did he ever not see And so there's tradition that we can lean on. And, and, and basically, he did have his time with Caesar. Apparently, he was released. Then he was re, uh, recaptured and ultimately executed. Died for his faith in Jesus Christ. It seems appropriate to me that the chapter or that the, the book of Acts concludes with Paul speaking about the hope of Israel. All of the Bible has been about God's plan of redemption started with a family, Abraham's family, and how it grew into a great nation of Israel. And so Paul is speaking about the hope of Israel, and that's where the book of Acts, that's where Luke's account of the, the story of the early church ends. And it's all about the hope of Israel. Paul says to the Jews, again, these are the folks that he invited to explain, once again, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jewish people in Rome. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So what is the hope of Israel? What is the hope of Israel? It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. As we were reminded last week, nicely by Timia and uh, the worship team, Israel has been in the news <laughs> A lot lately. Part of that crazy 24-hour news cycle. There's been the celebration of 70 years of nationhood established by the United Nations. The embassy, the U.S. embassy, was moved to Jerusalem as a, as a symbolic gesture of continued support by the Americans for the nation of Israel. And many people will see these two events, but rightfully, as fulfillment of prophecy, for sure. But we have to be careful that we are celebrating and promoting the right thing. If you were to ask a practicing Jew in Israel, which is an interesting, the percentages of actual practicing Jews within Israel is not what you think, 100%. It's a percentage of the population. But if you were asked practicing Jews in Israel, what is the hope of Israel? They would point to the Messianic age. 
They would point to the coming of the Messiah. You see there's a problem here already, right? <laughs> the Messiah's already come. And so uh, in Judaism 101, they describe this messianic age, which the Jewish people are looking forward to in this way. The Messiah, or the Messiah, I'll say, will bring about the political and spiritual redemption of the Jewish people by bringing us back to Israel and restoring Jerusalem, which this has been in the news, right? It's a fulfillment of prophecy. He will establish a government in Israel that will be the center of all world government. That hasn't happened yet. Both for Jews and Gentiles. He will rebuild the temple and reestablish its worship. He will restore the religious court system of Israel and establish Jewish law as the law of the land. In other words, the Messianic age to Jews will be a time in the future in which Israel, as God's chosen nation, chosen people, will finally realize its ultimate greatness as a nation. And I think that's where the problem lies. <laughs> I think that's where the concern comes in. I have to tell you that, to be frank, I, I've been concerned by a growing allegiance of the evangelical church towards the realization of Israel's hope, the hope for Israel. I understand, you can look at the New York Times, for instance, just last week did a huge article on front page, Israel's and Evangelicals, new U.S. Embassy signals a growing alliance. It's interesting, the comments in that article were kind of funny because even as well-known Christian leaders meet with guys like Benjamin Netanyahu, they will pray in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, you can see the issue there, right? Netanyahu has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Nothing. He has rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So there's an issue there, right? So my concern is that there can be a misleading message. And this misleading message is that Evangelicals or Christians are supportive of this vision, this realization of the Messianic age. And some people could kind of say that that is a time that is coming. And they could also get confused around the idea that the objective is the realization of, nation, uh, of Israel becoming a great nation. I want to tell you today, that's not the hope for Israel. The hope for Israel is not <coughs> Jerusalem <laughs> being restored, the Israelites coming back to the promised land. The hope for Israel is not Israel becoming a huge military force and a, a huge powerful force in the Middle East. That is not the hope for Israel. Do you know what the hope for Israel is? Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the hope for Israel. And guess what? That's my hope. 
That's your hope. That's the world's hope. It's the same hope. And so I just mentioned my concern because we have to be careful that when we become sort of uh, cheerleaders for Israel, we need to make sure very, very, very clear that the hope is not that they will become a great nation. Hope is that they will they will understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Man. He is the Messiah. That's their hope. And so when Paul, when when he is 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 talking about the fact that he's in chains for the hope of Israel. He's not in chains because one day, you know, Israel's going to be a great nation. He's in chains because Israel has rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He is the hope for Israel. And that's why they're in chains. So we have Paul. He's a Jew. A really awesome Jew. <laughs> like outstanding, I would say. You know? Great credentials as a Jewish person. Uh, brought up in a Jewish home, he taught the right stuff, did all the right stuff. Okay? He believes in the scriptures. He sees the special role that God's people play in God's plan of redemption. Let's just take a look at Romans. This is where Paul in Romans 9 to 11 writes a lot about this. If you want to get into it, it's good stuff. But in Romans 9, he says this. Paul says this. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. For the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Christ, of Israel, sorry. Theirs is the adoption of sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from there is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever be praised. Amen. And so you see in Paul this grief. And the grief is that Israel has rejected their hope. Their only hope. My only hope. They've rejected Jesus Christ and it grieves him. He says this further on in Romans 9. It's, it's not like God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. And so you have... Paul, a Jew, and he knows that they have rejected the Messiah, but then he knows of all the prophecies 
and he knows the rich history, and he knows that God is bringing salvation through the Jewish people. And so what does he do with that? And he finally comes to a realization, and this is the realization, that there is two Israels. Okay? The first Israel is the biological descendants of Abraham. They got the DNA. <laughs> They're in. They're Israelites. That's one Israel. But there's another Israel, and this is the true Israel. This is the Israel who initially, before Jesus Christ, were, yes, had the DNA. But also had faith in God, trusted God, did not trust their DNA, did not trust the practices of the church. But what they did is they trusted God. Let's read what he says about that. Romans 9 again. It's not as though God's word failed, as in, oh, Jesus came, and that whole thing about the Israel, scrap that, that was plan B, and or plan A. We got plan B now? No, no, not at all. It's not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the children of physical descent who are God's children or Israel, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring, the children of faith, the children that came from the miracle of the birth of Isaac, whose mom and dad were too old to have kids, but God made a promise, and Abraham and Sarah believed. And so that's the second Israel that Paul believes in. Now this also, and this is, I know this is dead stuff, but this also allows for Paul's life work. Because Paul was the self-proclaimed, but God-ordained, apostle to the Gentiles. <clears throat> and so true Israel accommodates the fact that there are going to be non-Jews who have faith They don't have the DNA. They don't have the history. They don't have the promises. But they're part of the true Israel because they are people of faith. And so true Israel to Paul consists of not just genetically uh, and faithful and true Jews. It also includes anybody else who in faith follows God. And in both instances, hereditary Jews and faithful Gentiles believe that Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world. That's the true Israel. Okay? That's the true Israel. Is the Israel that is comprised of ethnic Jews who have accepted that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and they see him as the fulfillment of the law 
and the promises. And Gentiles, non-Jews, who are people of faith and have put their faith in Jesus Christ as their only hope. That is true Israel. The other Israel is the Israel who are just by credential Jews by DNA. But they are not people of faith because if they were people of faith, they would have recognized that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But in rejecting the Messiah, they prove that they are not people of God. They are not people of faith. They did not put their faith in Jesus Christ. They have rejected him. <coughs> Romans 9 again. What then shall we say? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained it all. <coughs> Paul says, why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it was by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. How is Jesus Christ? We, we, we know that Jesus is the, 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 the stumbling stone. Uh, how is Jesus Christ the stumbling stone? How, how did the Jewish people stumble over the stumbling stone? How is Jesus the cause of their stumbling? Well, this is pretty much it. The nation of Israel felt that their rightness with God was based on their DNA and their ability or their effort towards fulfilling the law, doing all the right stuff. So they figured, we're right with God because we've got the DNA, we've got Abraham's blood in us, okay? And we were given the law and we're trying real hard to fulfill it. And therefore, we're right with God. Jesus comes along and says, you can never be right with God by fulfilling the law because you can't fulfill the law. You have to be perfect. But guess what? I fulfill the law for you. All you got to do is trust me. Right? All you got to do is trust me. Put your faith in me. I did it for you. And your righteousness, then, is from me. So that's why Jesus is the stumbling block, because the Jewish people, when Christ came along as the Messiah, as the one who was going to make things right, and ultimately lead to a perfect world, Jesus didn't become who they wanted him to be. They figured all he needed was the right DNA, and he had to fulfill the law, and somehow, miraculously, people would all be good again. Doesn't make sense. Jesus came to actually change us from being the people that we are, <laughs> but hope we aren't, want to be better, but we can't be into the people who are right with God by virtue of the blood of Christ. It's hard, though, but it's dense, it's difficult. I get it. You know, I understand how hard it is. 
But we got to understand this difference. This is how Christ is the stumbling block. This is where the Jews couldn't handle Jesus Christ because basically he said, you're sinners and you will never fulfill the law. You'll never be perfect. No matter how hard you try, no matter how stellar your credentials are. Paul said, I got all the credentials, but I call it garbage. It's garbage. It's garbage. I'm the thoroughbred. But it's garbage because there's no way in and of myself I could be right with God because I cannot be perfect. So I need to take Christ's perfection and dress myself in it. And then I'm right with God. He says in Romans 11, I, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited, Israel, so that you Gentiles won't be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So, there will be a day, I believe, when a lot of Israelites will come into the kingdom of God. Okay, I believe that. But there's huge, huge arguments within the church. You know, somebody down the road in a little white church could be preaching something totally different about this. They could say this, that God's, put it this way, Israel is now the church. And all that ethnic stuff doesn't count anymore. Perfectly good, godly Christians believe that. Okay? I personally don't. But you know where I put this stuff? Whether or not, you know, all Israel, like, ethnically, the ethnic DNA Israel's, Israelites will actually, you know, become that great nation again. Um, I kind of put it, quite frankly, in the same place I put whether or not um, there's going to be a, 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 what's that thing called again when we go up into heaven? A, a what? A rapture. It's it's in the same book. I don't care if there's a rapture. Quite frankly, I don't care. You know, if I go early or I go late, who cares? I'm going. Right? And we can quabble, we can quibble about this stuff, but that's not the, that's not really the point. The point is, what is the hope of Israel? It is not Israel becoming this powerful nation. It is Israel coming to its senses, understanding that there is no way that they can be right with God, regardless of their credentials. That they need forgiveness. And they need to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, in this way, those are big words, all Israel will be saved. So the point is, Israel's hope is not in the settlements. Israel's hope is not in the military strength. And Israel's hope, good Lord, is not in Donald Trump. <laughs> it's not. It's not in U.S. alliances. It's not in politics. The hope of Israel is in Jesus Christ. And the only way that Israel will ever come to that place is the one thing that they've always needed. And you need, and I need, humility. 
We need to humble ourselves. And we have to recognize that we are not good enough to be right with a holy God. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they will be saved. Why did all the Jews leave his little discussion, his little encounter group in his rented room? This is what he said to them. Say to this people, you will ever be hearing but never understanding. You will ever be seeing but never perceiving. But the people's heart has been callous. Their heart, they hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, 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 turn. What is it? What is it that makes someone turn? Repentance. That's what makes someone turn. This has always been the problem. If my people, 2 Chronicles, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and will heal the land. Hosea 14, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forgive all our sins. Jeremiah 7, 13. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. You are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Israel's only hope is our only hope. And it's so much fun to pick up Israel because it keeps them at arm's distance. But we are no different at all. Every one of us is the same. It is the human condition to see ourselves as our only hope. The hard truth of the gospel is this, that nothing within our power or about us, our ethnicity, our good works, our political allegiance, our wealth, our position, our influence, nothing makes us right with Christ, makes us right with God, makes us righteous, makes us holy, Nothing other than the saving grace of Jesus Christ is our true hope. And so you can try to be the best person that you can be, if you don't, but if you don't humble yourself and say, I'm a sinner, and Lord, I can do the best that I can do. Scripture says the best you can do is filthy rags. And he's referring to menstruation. Filthy rags. That's how, they, do your best. That's what you are. A soiled rag. You never can be good enough. 
We can never be good enough. You can never have the right DNA. You can never, you know, say all the right things and do all the right things, worship all the right way, whatever. You can't do it. The only way that you can be made right is through humbling yourself and saying, I am a sinner and I need the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's my only hope. That's your only hope. And let's not forget that that's Israel's only hope. And whether there will be a great nation in Israel, literally, or not, <laughs> we'll see. But let's not get caught up with the idea that somehow we need to help Israel become a great nation. Because that's not what they need. They need Jesus Christ. They need to accept Jesus Christ. Just like you need to and I need to. We need to humble ourselves. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Paul. And uh, what, a, what a great, a perfect choice that you made in Paul. Because he was uh, the, the, the perfect Jew. Uh, just, you know, stellar. But it was to him that you revealed that there is a true Israel. And that that true Israel is made up of people who recognize not their qualities or their credentials, but realize their need for a Savior. And Paul really understood that. And we thank you that he was faithful on this crazy journey of doldrums and hurricanes so that he could continue our understanding through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, our understanding of your great plan of redemption. We realize that your great plan of redemption will not result in a great nation of Israel. We know that your great plan of redemption will result in broken, hurt, desperate human beings from every nation who put their faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, you are our hope. Let us live in hope. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you all.